Well, good morning, Ridgepoint Church, and welcome home. I'm so glad to see you guys this morning. Uh, what a wonderful day it is for us. Every day is great to worship the Lord, but I'm so thankful for our worship team. And let me say this again. Last week, you guys led us to the throne, man. Thank you so much for faithfully following the Lord and leading us in worship. I'm very thankful for our worship team. Today, we're going to launch into a new series that I'm so excited about. I, I've just been thinking about this message and thinking about this series all week. And I hope, I hope this morning that you tune in and um, uh, really stick with me over the next 20 minutes or so as I kind of lay out what I believe God has put on my heart um, for the next four weeks or so. We're launching this new series titled, Jesus Didn't Say That. Jesus Didn't Say That. We could, we could go on for months, if not uh, years about what Jesus didn't say. But what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to take a look at the, the, the words in red in your Bible. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at things that Jesus didn't say. These are things that, that um, uh, in what's written in red are the things that he did say. And it's important for us as we look at the things that he did say uh, to understand the magnitude of what he did say. Sometimes we have to look at what he didn't say as well. So over the past few weeks, or I'm sorry, over the past week specifically, I've been looking at multiple articles and blog posts and different things to kind of get some examples of things that Jesus didn't say. Over the past week, I looked at a series of articles from different folks that are Christian uh, authors, and I found the top 10, the top 10 things that Jesus didn't say. And I'm going to go over those things really quickly. If you have your phone with you and you have the Bible app on your phone, you can actually follow me on the top 10 things that Jesus didn't say. If you go to the Bible app, click on events, and then go to Ridgepoint Church, everything that I'm going to talk about today, or at least the highlights of what I'm going to talk about today, is written on the Bible app. <laughs> so here are the top 10 things, okay? Not my words. These are things that people are thinking uh, right now, top 10 things that Jesus didn't say. Number one, blessed are those who are more passionate about politics than their faith. Number two, winning an argument is more important than winning a person to Christ. Jesus didn't say that. Number three, I'll let you into heaven as long as you're a good person. Number four, I love Christians more than anyone else. Jesus didn't say that. Number five, homosexuality is worse than all other sins combined. Again, Jesus didn't say that. Number six, you have to behave before you can be belong. Number seven, church isn't really that important. You don't really have to attend. Number eight, your sin really isn't that big of a deal. Number nine, I will make your life easy and give you everything you want. <laughs> Some of you are laughing like, yeah, that's right. Number 10, the top 10 things that Jesus did not say in the Gospels. Number 10, I will answer all your prayers on your terms. Makes you giggle, doesn't it? Jesus didn't say any of those things. And today I want to look at the things that Jesus didn't say about forgiveness. And we have some guests behind me. I don't know if y'all can hear them, but the birds are singing really loud. I don't know. It's just, uh, anyway. Well, we're going to start with a question. I want everyone to kind of get involved with this. How many of you know someone that's super annoying on Facebook? Raise your hand. Super annoying on Facebook. How many of you know someone? Okay, awesome. Leave them up for a second. Leave them up for a second. Those of you that are not raising your hand, it could be you. Sorry. 
It could be you. It could be you. Things that Jesus didn't say, right? Things that Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they post. Jesus didn't say that, right? He didn't say, fool me once and I'll forgive you. Fool me twice and I'll give you hemorrhoids. He didn't say that either, right? He just, he didn't say that. That's not something that Jesus said. Jesus definitely didn't say, sorry, you've sinned too much for me to forgive you. You've hit your quota. I can forgive everyone else for everything that they've done, but you, you're just super annoying. I'm not going to forgive you. Like Jesus didn't say those things. He, he just didn't say that. How many of you are thankful for a God that forgives us no matter what we've done? Amen. Thankful for a God that looks beyond our faults and offers his grace, his forgiveness, and his mercy in spite of us. God forgives all of us for what we've done, and we could never, ever deserve his forgiveness. Today we're going to talk about, for a moment, what Jesus did say about forgiveness. It's important for us to understand what he didn't say, but also we're going to hone in on what he did say about forgiveness. We're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to dive into a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. This is that big sermon that Jesus preached as he went into his ministry and started his his ministry publicly. We're going to dive into a portion of that. Jesus was actually talking on prayer. Um, We're going to pick up where Jesus was talking on prayer. And then he modeled a prayer for us. It's known as the Lord's Prayer. Most everyone has already heard that before. If you haven't, today's your lucky day. You're going to get a chance to hear it. But at the end of this prayer, he gives us a couple sentences about forgiveness. And man, are they important. Like super, super important for us to look at what Jesus said about forgiveness. We're going to pick up in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. Again, if you have your Bible app uh, open today, you can follow along with me there as well. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, or give us today, our daily bread. Listen, I've been saying this prayer most of my life. When I was in high school, we recited this prayer right before we went out to to play baseball. Every every season when I was in high school baseball, uh, when I was uh, at another church, we prayed this prayer every single week. We actually did an entire series on this prayer Uh, last year. And so uh, this is definitely something that if you've been around here very long or if you've been in church at all, you probably know this prayer. But he says, give us today our daily bread. And then he goes on. And we've all likely heard this prayer, but notice what he doesn't say next. He doesn't say, forgive us our debts, though we're still holding grudges. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'll forgive you, but you don't have to forgive others. Jesus doesn't say that. What he does say is this in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You notice the tense there. As we also have forgiven our debtors. This is not a question from Jesus. It's not a maybe if you want to. It's an insinuation. Forgive us, God, of our debts as we've already forgiven those who have sinned against us or our debtors. And then, man, listen, like, I don't know if you've read this into it before. Some of us stop at the end of the Lord's Prayer, but check this out in verse 14. He teaches us how to pray, and then he gives us some thoughts on forgiveness. He says this in verse 14. 
For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But he doesn't stop there. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father or your Father will not forgive your sins. Can we just take a moment and let that sink in? Like, I don't know why, but for some reason, this verse just hit me so hard this week. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. That's what Jesus said. Those are his words. It's intense. It's heavy. And then Jesus just dropped the mic and walked off the stage. That's really not what he did, but that seems like a good moment to do so, doesn't it? Each time that I speak on forgiveness, I can't help but be reminded by, first of all, first of all, anytime I speak on forgiveness, I think of all the people that maybe I've wronged or things that I've done in the past that, that I've had to ask forgiveness from people for. No question. But I also can't help but be reminded of people that have hurt me. I've seen so much hate, so much unchristlike stuff, especially over the past couple of years. Um, it's been tough. It's been really difficult. Specifically on social media, if you're, if you're on social media, some of you are not, which is fine and which is good. Um, but sometimes when I read things on social media from people that I care about, I take it personally. One of, our, one of our values at Rich Point Church is we live real. It wouldn't help any of us if I stood up here today and didn't tell you the whole truth. Sometimes when I read your posts on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, I take it personal. I can't help it. That's just my personality. That's who I am. And we all know, we all know folks uh, in our lives, and, 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 but there are a few folks that just seem to rise to the top of just hatred and anger and unchristlike things that I see folks post about. And I must admit, over the past year, I've unfollowed a lot of people. Like, I don't need that kind of junk in my life. That's just not, it's just, just not the way it should be. But God has a sense of humor, <laughs> doesn't he? Just uh, a, a few weeks back, I was sitting in a room, and I was at a meeting uh, with some, some friends of mine. And lo and behold, in walks someone that I have been harboring a lot of frustration toward because of their unchristlike social media presence. In walks that person and sits down across the table from me, says hi. And in that moment, <laughs> I was so convicted because I realized in that moment I had been harboring so much anger and frustration toward this unchristlike attitude. But that person had no idea that I was harboring that frustration and that anger. And it turned into bitterness. In that moment, I had, I had some clarity. And then I had to ask the question, is this what... I almost got up and walked out because that's what my, that's what my, my body was telling me. I don't want anything to do with this. I'm just going to walk away. And then I had a moment of clarity. Is this truly what Jesus would do? Is this what Jesus would do? I've been harboring those hurt feelings and anger against this person for so long that they didn't even know it. 
Some of you are going to have a similar feeling today. Some of you are going to have similar emotions today from God. You came to church expecting a good time. You wanted to hear some really good worship music and be able to praise the Lord and hear a feel-good message that just you know, made you feel better about yourself and, and all of that. And suddenly you came to the sobering words from Jesus that may have a direct application on your life today. This is where life and, the, and, and Jesus intersect. You're carrying a grievance towards someone who's wronged you, someone that's hurt you, someone that's let you down or betrayed you. Anytime I've ever talked about this topic of forgiveness, there's always a ton of emotions that come along with it. And rightly so. And you're probably saying right now, Pastor, you have no idea. You don't know what that person did to me. You don't know what she said about me. You don't know what he did to me. You have no idea. You just don't understand. And you're probably right. I may not understand your situation. I talked to someone the other day whose spouse had been cheating on her. And in that moment, it almost seemed cruel to ask her to forgive him. It was almost cruel. She was devastated because of what happened. Maybe you've experienced something similar to that. Maybe a best friend lied about you or lied to you. Someone that you admired or someone that you looked up to really let you down. Maybe it's a Christian figure. Maybe it's your pastor. Maybe it's someone. Maybe it's a hero in your life that truly just let you down. Maybe it's someone who didn't pay you back after you lent them some money. Been there. <laughs> I heard an amen up front. Maybe it's someone very, very unfortunately did something to you. Maybe it's someone that was supposed to protect you and love you unconditionally, but instead they hurt you. Tragically, there are many of you that have suffered very real abuse. Verbally, emotionally, physically, and unfortunately even sexually in some cases. And here you are, sometime later. Maybe it's days, maybe it's weeks, maybe it's months, maybe it's even decades, and you still feel the pain. From that hurt. You still have the scars. That you deal with daily. From the hurt that you've experienced. So if you say today. That's just not fair. You don't know what this person did to me. You don't know what she did. You don't know what he did. You don't know what I've experienced. I just want to take a moment today to acknowledge. To acknowledge your hurt. And to acknowledge that there are very real hurts in this world. There's very real pain in this world. What has happened to you was probably grossly unfair to you. And I want to acknowledge your pain this morning. I want to acknowledge your hurt. And I want to say that I'm sorry that this has happened to you. I was counseling a couple this week and, and I, I just had to say, listen, they started using the phrase or this person started using the phrase that why is God doing this to me? Why is God doing this to me? And I had to reply and say, listen, God's not doing this to you. We live in a broken world. Sin has absolutely ravished this entire world. We live in a broken world with a broken system. The one that, that you say is hurting you 
Why is God doing this to me? He's the one that said, I'm making a new heaven. I'm making a new earth. One day I'm going to wipe all your tears away. One day you're going to live with me for eternity in a place that is absolutely perfect where there is no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more hurt. No one's ever going to let you down again. That's the one. He cares for you. And he cares for me. But in this situation and in in the hurt that you've been through in the past, you're right, maybe I don't understand. It wasn't fair. And it wasn't okay. So the question becomes, how do you forgive someone of something that seems to be unforgivable? Like, how do you forgive someone for something that seems to be unforgivable? How do you forgive something so brutally wrong from someone that you trusted, someone that you loved, someone that was supposed to be there for you and you respected? How do you live out what Jesus taught us to do? In the face of all of this hurt, how do you live out what Jesus taught us to do? The clue is found in the prayer that Jesus prayed. In verse 9, I'm sorry, in, in um, uh, verse 9 of, of Matthew chapter 6. Check out what Jesus said one more time. He says this, first part of the, of, the, of the scripture. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. That's how Jesus started his prayer. Our Father in heaven. It's interesting to me that when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he doesn't use the term, my Father in heaven. But he uses the term, our father instead of my father. In other words, God is not only my father, but he's your father too, right? He's our father together. We share God in common because he's our father. And because he's our father, we collectively are his children. Amen? He's our father. We are his children. And our relationship with our siblings matters to God. Let me say that again. God is our father. We are his children. And our relationship with our siblings under God matters to the heart of God. Just let that sink in for a moment. Just just take a moment. As a dad, this makes perfect sense to me. Right? If you have two kids, when your kids are getting along, everything's great, right? You feel good. When Elena and Lincoln, even though they're so young, when Elena or Lincoln comes behind Elena and he just kicks her in the back and knocks her over, it breaks my heart, right? It just breaks my heart when I see my son or my daughter. She's pretty feisty, okay? She's not going to take any junk from Lincoln. So when he does something, he immediately starts running because she comes at him with the claws and ready to, to take him down. But listen, that breaks my heart when I see them being mean to each other. But on the other hand, when I see them in their car seat, in the back of the car, just holding hands and sleeping beside of each other, there is no better joy in my life than seeing my kids get along. So to me, it makes perfect sense. It just makes perfect sense that, that, that when God is our Father and we are His children, when we pray, we're praying to our Father and our relationship with God's other children really matters to the heart of God. Just take it as it is. It really matters to the heart of God. And maybe that's one reason that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, He said, Therefore, 
If you're offering a gift to the, at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gifts. In other words, don't bring your praise when you're fighting with your siblings. Guys, I could literally walk off the stage right now and let you go home with that one. I could walk off the stage right now and let you go home and let that one marinate for a while. Right? Jesus is saying, don't come in my building and throw your hands up in the air and worship me when you have something against your brother or your sister. When you know you've done something to hurt someone, don't don't come in here. Stop what you're doing. Leave your gift at the altar and walk Run, he actually says, and tell or apologize. Make it right is what he says. Make it right. Stop what you're doing and go make it right with your siblings and then come back and worship me. I've thought about that one for a long time because I just, I'm, I'm a big worship guy. I love to worship. I love to sing. I love to, uh, to throw my hands in the air. I like to get animated when I worship God. But I'm going to tell you something. It's almost weekly when I put my hands in the air and I begin to worship God. It's almost immediately that I'm reminded of all the times that I've let him down. Almost immediately that I'm reminded. And so I've always questioned that. Like, like how can I stand here today and throw my hands up when I haven't talked to you today? When I haven't even spoken your name in two days? Like, there's just something to that. And I won't go any further than that, but I just want you to be thinking about that. When Jesus said, before you come and offer me gifts and worship me, go and make it right with your siblings. Think about this. Who does unforgiveness hurt? Who does unforgiveness hurt? When you have something against someone that has hurt you, who does it hurt, really? First of all, if God is your heavenly father, then it hurts his heart because he wants us to live in unity. So it hurts God's heart when his children are not treating each other with the love and honor and respect that he intends. But who else does it hurt? Well, it hurts the person that's not forgiving. It hurts the one that that harbors unforgiveness. And you know what? There's one author that says it this way. It poisons their soul. Unforgiveness poisons their soul. You just get more and more angry, and then that turns to bitterness. Likely, the other person doesn't even know that you're thinking about them. That other person may be completely oblivious to the fact that you just continue to get more and more angry and harbor bitterness and resentment toward them. If we live with bitterness and resentment and hatred, then we continue to let the wound stay infected and poison our soul. Poison our soul. Someone once said, you might be living in a prison of offense. Like, you look around and everyone has treated you bad. Everyone has said things about you. Everyone has done things to you. And you might be living in a prison of of offense. Someone hurt you weeks ago or years ago, decades ago, and you've been living in a prison of offense. But check this out. Forgiveness is the key that sets you free from the prison of offense. Forgiveness is the key that sets you free from the prison of offense. 
And you may, you may say, Pastor, I'm just not there yet. Again, you don't know what he did to me. You don't know what she said about me. I'm not ready to forgive. I'm still mad. I'm going to hold on to this as long as I can because I just can't get over it. I just can't give them the satisfaction of forgiving them. I'm still angry. And as a matter of fact, Pastor, I don't know if I'll ever get over this. The hurt is just too deep. The wound is still open. It's just too deep. What do I do? I know the scripture said that if I don't forgive others, that Jesus will forgive me. Then what do I do? What am I supposed to do about this? Well, the good thing is the Bible is so applicable to our lives today. The Bible teaches us this as well. Jesus teaches us. What do we do when we just can't seem to forgive? What do we do? In the same sermon that I, that I, I referenced earlier, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. In chapter 5, verse 43, he says in Matthew, he says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So check this out. In other words, Jesus is speaking into this culture of what was going on. When he was speaking the Sermon on the Mount, he's actually uh, speaking in front of a, a culture of people that believed in this justice that's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and a life for a life, right? If someone did something bad to you, you have the authority to do something bad back to them. So that's the culture that he's speaking into. Not much different than what we live in today, right? Not much different. That was the culture that Jesus was speaking to. But he goes on in verse 44. He says, this is the way it was. You believe it this way. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. But then Jesus says, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Whoa. Right? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Wow. Can you imagine what these folks were thinking back then? In this culture of, of, of justice where it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. And Jesus says, love the people around you that you would consider your enemies. And for those that are persecuting you, just annoying you and just making your life miserable. He says, pray for those people. Pray for those people. What do you do when you're angry or when you're hurt or when you're bitter? Well, Jesus, what Jesus would do or what Jesus actually said was you can start by praying for the other person that has offended you. You can start by praying for the other person who has offended you. The one that's let you down, the one that's hurt you, that you still have this huge scar from the hurt that that person has caused you. And you may say, I don't feel like praying for that person. I don't want to pray for her. I don't want to pray for him. I'm so angry. I'm so bitter. I don't feel like praying for them. I understand. If I, if I waited until I wanted to pray for someone that hurt me, I would still not be praying for people that hurt me. If I waited to pray when I wanted to pray, if I waited until I just wanted to pray for someone that's hurt my family... I'd never pray for that person. It's an extremely hard thing to do. It really is. But it's possible. It's really hard to pray for someone that has hurt you so deep. But it's possible. Remember what Jesus said. You remember what Jesus said on the cross? Check this out. I'm going to Jesus juke. We call this Jesus juking, okay? 
You don't think it's possible? Check out what Jesus said on the cross. These people had literally beaten him to death within an inch of his life. They had ripped the skin from his body, blood everywhere. They had nailed him to a cross. His hands and his feet were nailed to that cross. He had a crown of thorns on his head that likely had pierced the skin around his head. And guess what he said? They mocked him. They made fun of him. They spit on him. And Jesus says to God as he's praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You can't tell me that it's not possible to pray for those that have hurt you. You can't tell me that. It's possible. But you have to put action before attitude. When you pray for someone that's hurt you, you have to put action before attitude. When you start to pray, you may say, God, do something to him. I mean, do something in him. You might pray that way, and it's okay. When you start to pray, God, do something in him that causes him to change his life. Do something to make him understand the hurt that he's caused me. Do something in him or do something in her that causes her to come to you. Do something that causes them to change. Causes them to be transformed. Do something. And over time, listen, here's how it works. Over time, your heart will start to soften. It's just the way it works. That's just, you have to trust me on this. Please, just trust me. You say that one prayer for that person that's hurt you. And that second prayer becomes a little easier. You say that second prayer for someone that has hurt you. And that third prayer becomes a little easier. Over time, your heart's going to soften until you're genuinely, genuinely praying for this person. Like, don't let him go to sleep tonight until he calls on your name. Don't let him go to sleep tonight. Don't give him any peace whatsoever until he calls on your name. Over time, your heart starts to soften and you genuinely, you're able to pray for that person. God, help him or her find forgiveness in you. Help him or her find forgiveness in you. Help him find new life in Christ. And you know what I found about praying for people that have hurt you? Check this out. What I found about people praying for people that have hurt you. When you pray for those that have hurt you, your prayer not, may, may not change that other person. But it always changes you. Your prayer may not change that other person. But it always changes you. Hear me when I say this. <laughs> I'm letting you off the hook. Hear me when I say this. This person may never, ever be a part of your life again. And that's okay. This person may never sit around your dinner table again. That's okay. This person may never be in a friendship with you or a relationship with you ever again. That's okay. It's okay. 
So what do you do? As I invite the worship team to come up, I'm not finished yet, okay? But what do you do? When Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. Prayer is a great place to start. Prayer is a great place to start. And let me tell you right up front, it is a process. It's a process. You're not going to genuinely pray for someone that has hurt you the first time. It's a process. You may have to pray out of anger. It's okay. It's a process. But as the process goes, as God works on your heart, it may not happen immediately. But at some point, you'll recognize that as I have been forgiven, so shall I forgive those that have hurt me. What I love about the word forgive in the Greek is that it doesn't mean to just sweep it under the rug and just, just kind of look over it. You know what the word forgiveness in Greek literally means? It means to hurl it away. Like when you forgive, it means to hurl it away as far as you can. To cast that out of your life forever. Unforgiveness is a poison and it needs to be hurled as far away as you can get it. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive or hurl it away as the Lord has hurled it away from you. I used to sing this song when I was growing up. The song is called What Sin? And as it goes, this, this young man was standing in front of God one day and, and he had been asking for forgiveness for the same sin over and over and over and over. And one day he was standing before the Lord and he said, Father, forgive me once again for this thing that I did 20 years ago. And the Lord responded and he said, what sin? I've cast that sin as far as the east is from the west. I don't even know what you're talking about, Clayton. What sin? I've already hurled it away. Some of you need to hurl away the grievance that you have towards someone else. I'm thankful today that God freely forgives us of our sins. I'm thankful that He doesn't look at us and say, that's just too much, Clayton. You've gone too far this time. I can't forgive you of that one. I'm thankful that He has hurled away my sins never to be seen Again, and in the same way, we need to hurl away the unforgiveness that we have toward other folks. We need to let it go. I love what Andy Stanley says. Listen, I can sum up this whole sermon in this one quote. In the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. In a world of hurt that's not fair and it's not okay, how many homes, how many homes would be healed if fathers would just put their arms around their sons and ask for forgiveness? 
how many marriages could be saved if we just asked for forgiveness and offered forgiveness? How many friendships could be healed? How many friendships right now in your life could be healed if you just offered forgiveness? Now, maybe again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that when you offer forgiveness, you immediately get back into a relationship or friendship with someone that you that has hurt you. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that when you offer forgiveness, you gain healing for yourself. You see, that's the key. None of us deserve forgiveness from God. But time and time again, God forgives us of the wrongs that we do to Him every single day. Pastor Dave Wills once said, holding a grudge doesn't make you strong. It makes you bitter. Forgiving doesn't make you weak. It sets you free. For if you forgive others, let's go back to Jesus' words. If you forgive others, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgiveness empowers you to set the prisoner free. The thing that you don't realize sometimes is that prisoner is you. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you today. And I ask you, I plead with you, God, to help all of us get to a place in our lives and in our hearts that have been broken by someone that has hurt us, wronged us, grieved us, destroyed us. Father, I ask now in the presence of these people and you, God, I ask you to move in our lives and our hearts and bring us to a moment where we can begin to pray for those people where we can begin to cry out and ask you to transform their lives and draw them close to you. Father, for some, it may look and feel like it's trying to climb Mount Everest to just utter that person's name from their lips. But what I know above all things is that you Give us strength to do the impossible every single day. Bring us to a moment, God, where we can offer forgiveness to someone that has hurt us so much. Because you forgave us and you continue to forgive us daily. Let us be able to do the same for those that have hurt us. In Jesus' name, I would ask you to stand. My challenge for you today, real simple, real simple. My challenge for you today is I want you to think of that person that's hurt you. In a, in a room of this size and anyone that's watching online, I believe that all of us 
probably have someone in our hearts, in our minds right now, that have hurt us and we're harboring bitterness toward. We're harboring hurt and anger, all of those emotions and feelings. Justifiable, maybe. But you're not doing yourself any favors by harboring those feelings and not allowing God to change and transform you through prayer. So my challenge to you today, this is heavy. I know it's heavy, guys. I know it's heavy. But my challenge to you today, think of that person. And one time in the next seven days, one time, just pray for that person. Just pray. Let that person's name roll from your lips. Take that person to God and pray for transformation. See what God does.